1885, the Pittsburgh Dispatch local Meninist Erasmus Wilson publishes an article entitled What Girls Are Good For. Spoiler alert, as you can expect, the article was mm, horrifically sexist. Working women were a quote-unquote monstrosity. They needed to be at home, having babies, and caring for their husbands. A week later, the paper receives a letter to the editor from someone named Lonely Orphan Girl, who, in no uncertain terms, called Wilson's story bullshit. She thoroughly dismantles Wilson and argues for a woman's place being wherever she wants it to be. The modern-day equivalent of this would be someone tearing apart a New York Times article in the comments section. The paper's editor is so taken away by the writing style and passion of the author, he decides to hire her. A 20-year-old girl named Elizabeth Jane Cochran, who, as she began to write for the paper, adopted the pen name of Nellie Bly. from a popular song at the time. Ironically, the song's about the joy of domestic lives of women. Hitting the ground running, Nellie began writing piece after piece about the plight of women. She even went undercover in a sweatshop in order to bring attention to the horrific conditions working women faced. Not only was she the women's champion, but she was also the working class champion. She went undercover in Mexico to expose the treatment of journalists there by the government. The problem was, no one was listening. Women weren't journalists, or if they were, they weren't investigative reporters. So the dispatch moved Nellie to a more appropriate writing position in the paper's society section, writing about art and plays and fashion. She faced pressure to give up her crusade for women's rights in order to further her career. But nevertheless, she persisted. She moved to New York to work for Joseph Pulitzer's paper, New York World. In one of her first stories, arguably her most famous, Nellie pretended to be insane in order to be sent to an asylum. She wanted to corroborate rumors the paper had heard about the treatment of patients. She pretended to have amnesia and not know who she was. She managed to trick policemen and doctors, convincing them all that she was insane. Or positively insane, as they described her in their notes. The New York Times even wrote an article about her, asking the world if anyone could help identify this mad girl. Once inside, Nellie experienced the horrific conditions alongside the patients. These included eating spoiled food, being given no beds or protection from the rats, and being physically abused by the nurses and doctors. Nellie even talked to some of the patients who, she discovered, were equally as sane as she was. The paper got her out ten days later, and the book she wrote about it, Ten Days in a Madhouse, became a hit. More importantly, it sparked a reform within mental health institutions, and it kickstarted the public's interest in investigative reporting. To understand Nellie's story, you have to meet another character, this time fictional. Phileas Fogg was the main character in the 1873 Jules Verne novel Around the World in 80 Days. As you can imagine, the book details how he travels around the world in 80 days. Sixteen years after the book is published, Nellie goes to her editors and tells them that, given the chance, she could beat that. So the very next day, she ships out with nothing more than the clothes she was wearing, a change of underwear, and $200. A woman traveling alone was unheard of at the time. Nellie would send back stories and updates to New York, keeping the paper's readers on the edge of their seats. Unbeknownst to Nellie, however, she was not in one, but two races. Not only was she racing Phileas Fogg, she was also racing real-life journalist Elizabeth Bislin. Bislin was sent by the editors of Cosmopolitan, a new magazine that was trying to make its name in the city. She was going the opposite direction of Nellie. 
and towards the end was beating her time by two days. Now the rumor goes that as Elizabeth was about to embark on the last boat of the race, a fan of Nellie's was working at the docks and told Elizabeth that she had just missed the boat, causing her to take a much slower alternative, when, in fact, she hadn't missed the boat at all. Nellie arrived in New York at exactly 3.51pm on January 25th, 1890, 72 days after she left. The exact time is known because the New York world held a contest for readers to guess how long it would take. Elizabeth arrived four and a half days later. Nellie eventually got married and retired from journalism, instead helping run her husband's company. She was pulled out of retirement, however, 20 years later, to be a vocal proponent of the women's suffrage movement. She was still writing articles when she died of pneumonia in 1922. Oh, Nellie, take us all around the world and break those rules, cause you're our girl. Oh, Nellie, take us all around the world with you. Oh, Nellie, you show us just what you would do. Oh, Nellie, you show us just what you would do. Nellie's legacy is not only an inspiration to women, but to journalists as well. Journalism, as a career, requires a lot of determination. Stories aren't handed to you. You have to go out and find them. Nellie wanted to be a reporter, so she became one. She wanted to sail around the world, so she did. She wanted to make a difference, so she did. For Graft, I'm Ashley Miller. Thanks for podcasting.